Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. And for our next stop on this adventure and in the first episode of season eight, we are joined by Gary Robbins. Gary has been one of Canada's top ultramarathon distance runners for the past 15 years. He's attained many podiums, course records and fastest known times over the years, including his still standing course record at the HURT Hawaii 100 miler, where he's been the course record holder for over a decade, running the two fastest times in the history of the race. He is perhaps best known, however, for the three non-finishes of the world's toughest foot race, the Barkley Marathons. A documentary titled Where Dreams Go to Die, which is the title of this episode, captured his journey and has been viewed online over two and a half million times. And in this episode, you can look forward to diving into the relationship that Gary has or had with the Barkley Marathons, how he got into running, his love of running, and just taking a dive into the mind of the talented endurance athlete. And without any further ado, let's get straight into this episode of the Outside and Active podcast with Gary Robbins. Gary. Tom, I start talking to you as you take a swig. <laughs> <laughs> I took a sip as soon as you started talking. Perfect. Welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I believe you are the second non-UK person we've had Ooh. on the podcast. Very special. The first being uh, Scott Jurek. Wow, so, that's I'll, I'll, a tough act to follow. Do you have to put subtitles for me? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, ultra running, and we've got Dean coming on as well very soon. Nice. So we've got we've got we're really lucky with the the ultra running uh, the community getting a real treat. Um, but I've got a treat for you to start with. I've got a piece of advice, but it's not from me. It's from uh, someone that you that you you also know, David Hellard, yep. who has been a guest on the podcast before. And he didn't know he was leaving you this piece. Didn't leave. No, he was leaving it for you. Uh, but his piece of advice was to, or is to, stop doing the things that you think you have to do or you're not very good at. Instead, find someone to help you with those things, and um, put all of your time into the things that you like or that you're good at. So basically, if you're not good at anything, don't do it. Shelve it. Which is one piece of advice, <laughs> and uh, and just do the things that you enjoy. So. This might be an obvious answer, but you might give something different. But what are the things that you enjoy? Uh, I enjoy being outside and active. Did I get it right? All right. That's the script is right here in front of me. Uh, but no, it's very true. Um, yeah, my entire adult life have been very motivated for just being outside and active. And, and no matter what means that is. So I'm known as a runner and runner is certainly my primary mode of, of transit, uh, through the world. But, um, I love skiing and ski touring and biking, gravel and mountain biking, um, and paddle boarding and I kayaking, I did expedition races for a few years. So really the thing that motivates me the most is being outside. And though I am known as a singular sport athlete, um, I don't make it through a week without doing other activities from strength work to biking, et cetera, because it really does for me, keep it fresh. And does, uh, do you build exciting. that into your schedule? So yeah. you're like, this is, I'm going to make sure I do something. Absolutely. So I, I schedule a strength workout every week to make sure I've got that done. And then my, my wife and I, we built out our own little strength space in our, our garage back home in Canada. And, uh, and I get on my bike once a week as well, whether that's outside on a gravel bike or a mountain bike or inside on a spin bike doing Zwift or whatnot, but I really enjoy the cross training. And the advice actually made me think when I was looking at it and I was going to chat to you about prioritizing things. And I was going to ask you this later on after we've obviously spoken about 
your journey and lots of different things. Um, but prioritizing things that, that matter to you. And you've done that in the last year in terms of wanting to spend more time with your family. Is that difficult? I mean, ultra running, we know it takes a lot of time, not only to, to, to dedicate for travel and training, but and then of course, actually it can tr- trying to go from race to race. Is it quite difficult to then pull yourself away or actually when it's trying to spend more time with family, it's quite an easy decision? Well, I mean, first and foremost, the decision was easy. The fallout's not the right word. The repercussions, the the aftermath of making that decision has been um, <clears throat> it's been it's been an interesting journey through having to reassess who I am, what my priorities are, and what that means for me athletically and competitively. Um, and it, it has taken me a bit, uh, in hindsight, longer than I would have liked to really come to terms with the fact that, as you mentioned, as an ultra runner and a long distance runner, you, the great thing about running is that you get out of it what you put into it. And I'm very fortunate that I, I was able to go all in on my ultra running for many years. And I saw the results from that. And I'm quite proud of what I was able to accomplish. The struggle that I've had in the last couple of years is essentially having a, a sense of self or a vision of who I am and what I should do and not quite being able to perform to that level. But then it took a while to have the epiphany of realizing that I'm getting out of it what I'm putting into it as I always have. And right now I'm, I'm dedicating more of my time and energy into my family life and my business life. I have an events business and a coaching business and I'm seeing the the uh, the effects, the positive benefits of that in what I'm directing my energy towards. So it's taken me a little bit to kind of reassess and almost forgive myself for not performing at the level that I have previously and just accepting that I, I, I do this because I love to do it. I am a competitive person, so I do like competing and I do yeah. like getting a result. And that's been the hardest thing to, to kind of reassess as to like what my definition of success is now, because it has to be a different definition of success and it has to match what I'm putting into it for what I'm getting out of it. Um, and that was a bit of a journey this year. It's really interesting picking out specifically, specifically saying, reminding yourself of why you enjoy it or you know, getting back what you're putting into it, because the everyday person who runs their 5Ks, you know, two or three times a week and might look at times and go, oh, I've not run that one quickly. I've not run this or I've, I've, people are looking at my um, Strava times or whatever. And then hearing that made room, we've had this on the podcast before, but it's bringing it back up because it's so important of I'm running because I enjoy it. I want to enjoy it. And I'm, it's benefiting me mentally and physically, no matter whether I run it in, seven and a half seven minute miles or if i'm doing an 11 minute miles like running is just there to be enjoyed and that's you know being at the national running show is reminding us of how fun the community and the the sport of running is but it's nice to hear that just you know doing things for me and then trying to enjoy it rather than i know you're competitive we know that but uh, (laughs) but yeah it it, and you know meeting yourself where you're at essentially um and i i will always continue to do the things i do the way i do them because i love doing it and, uh, and it has been that it's just been kind of getting back to my own roots as a person and what's meaningful to me and continuing to do that because that's, that's what I'll always do, whether there were races or results or Strava or, or any of these other things or not, I'm still going to do what I'm doing right now, which again is prioritizing the things that are most important in my life, mm-hmm. family and business. And then, and then running an activity is a, for me and my wife, it's a very important part of our day-to-day routine but it's not all encompassing like it has been and was. And it has to be all encompassing to run hundred mile weeks on technical terrain, to get yourself into that really high level performance space. We've been very fortunate to have an, a number of different, very, very talented and very lovely um, ultra runners on this podcast. And I'm always interested to know 
at what step or how all the stages were to take you from, oh, I'm running to keep fit or I'm running competitively but shorter distances and then going ultra running. Because you can almost, a lot of people, as soon as that door opens towards ultra running and being um, finding out about that world, it's like a different switch that flicks. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, the, the, the door that opened into this world was eco challenge. And in the late nineties, I was living in Banff, Alberta, Canada, a mountain town. Uh, I was drinking more than I was doing anything else, drinking and skiing. And I saw eco challenge on TV and I decided while viewing it with some buddies that that was something I was going to do one day. And it took another, um, into 2004, I think it was so another six years before I finally decided I was going to try to do something athletically. I didn't grow up with this athletic outdoor, uh, background, but I knew mountains and being outside was very meaningful to me. And it started when I left home at 19 and moved to a mountain town and, and got into skiing, etc. So I then put together some friends and a team and we started training for expedition adventure racing. And that was my, my start. I didn't know what ultra running was. I'd never heard of it before. I couldn't believe people ran 50 kilometers, let alone <laughs> longer than that. I, I had met people that were going on five hour training runs and I thought that was totally bonkers. And we, as a group of friends, managed to make our way through an expedition race finish, which was always the goal. It took a couple of years. Lots and lots of money and four races before we accomplished that. But what I discovered of myself in those years working towards the expedition race finish was that I had a propensity for running and I wasn't a runner. I, I know for a fact that I ran less than 100 total miles in my life before 2004. And then when I started training for expedition races, you were biking and kayaking and running, etc. And running was the thing that spoke to me and that came most naturally and as we were halfway through the eventual expedition race that we would come to finish, having had m a multitude of issues in the first three, I prayed to anything above me that would listen that if we could just be granted this finish, I'd sell my mountain bike, I'd sell my kayak, and I would go all in on the running because I loved it so much. And that was 2007 in Australia in August. We finished, got back to Canada, sold my bike, sold my kayak. In 2008, I started all in on the ultra running, ran my first ever 100-mile training week, Ran my first ever 100-mile race in August of 2008, and the rest, as they say. Um, yeah, and that, that's, that's what led me to, to this at that point. And I was 26, 27 when I started that, that journey. And you've always been quite competitive and with yourself, but with other people as well? A bit of both. I mean, and it's, it's funny, right, because uh, everything from card games and Monopoly on out, like there's, there's always been a competitive edge that's in there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can laugh at it and often do and kind of mock it to an extent to just uh, almost normalize it. But yeah, my wife beats me in cards and I'm genuinely pissed off at myself and trying to figure out where I went wrong in the, in the hand. So um, yeah, the competitive edge has always been there. I, I grew up, as I mentioned, in Newfoundland on the east coast of Canada. I played ice hockey for 22 years. Um, so I, that was kind of my competitive outlet. Um, and, um, and that was really my only sports background before getting into this. It's interesting because that's team sport, but ultra running, I know obviously there's a certain amount of collaboration and running with other people and, you know, during events, but ultimately you're in your head when you're running and you have to be, you know, at times you're spending hours on your own. So how does that compare competitively, obviously t team sports, but then going to that, how do you keep yourself driven and motivated during races, but also in training as well on, when you're ultimately on your own? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I really value the team sport background that I have. And we have a, a son now who's seven and a half years old and he really likes single uh, individual sports such as swimming and skiing and whatnot. But we're, I, I, I'm not forcing, but I, I'm, 
uh, encouraging. Uh, captaining, encouraging a team <laughs> yeah. sport, and it seems like football, uh, soccer, uh, is that sport that he's uh, he's enjoying. So I really look back on the benefits of what I learned in team sport and how I could then apply that to the expedition racing, which again is a team sport, teams of four co-ed. Where I, in hindsight, really lucked out was that because we started with expedition, when we were pushing our limits to our absolute boundaries at that point in time, you would reach your breaking point 10 times from start to finish in an expedition race where you were out for the ones we did anywhere from three to nine days. But when you did, you had three teammates that were there to pick you up and everybody had a low point at a different point. So as they pulled you through, you got to see that it wasn't the end of the world when you had your low point and you knew that if you just stuck with it, you'd come out the other side and you know, within hours, you'd go from the lowest point of your life to the highest point of your life. Yeah. So I had that experience before going into the solo side of things. And that was really valuable because I could approach things and understand that you just need to manage this moment in time right now. And you will get through this and it will get better on the other side. And I've really come to absolutely love the solo element of things. I cherish my time to myself um, I certainly come across as an extrovert and I, I primarily am, but I also have introverted ways about me. Mm-hmm. I really need my individual time on a day-to-day basis and I run primarily by myself and it's a really healthy space for me to be in. I solve the world's problems in the first 20 minutes and I solve most of my own in the next 20. Um, and I really enjoy that, but it definitely took years of doing it with other people to get to a, a place where I was comfortable and confident enough to do things by myself And then the next step of really enjoying being able to escape and spend time by myself outside. I think we have a, there's a, there's a visitor. That's a good child out there, hey? (laughs) I just saw through, I was listening to you. (laughs) I saw you looking over my shoulder. That child has pink headphones on, earmuffs, that he did not have an hour ago. And my wife has redhead. Okay. (laughs) They are welcome to come in. I don't have seats for them. You can come in if you want. They That's can come funny. and say hello. <laughs> there is nothing like a, a, a mid-podcast. <laughs> Interruption by family members, yeah. That's it's right. great. Well, hello. you guys are sporting something you didn't have 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I don't have chairs for you, unfortunately, but you're more than welcome to stay in. You want to say hi real quick? Look at this camera over this way. We have- say hi. Wave at the camera. How cute. Hey, Reedster, come over and say hi, bud. You want to come say hi? Sure. No, you don't need to. You don't need Happy to. with the earmuffs have- in the line. Yeah, that's- is that Hello Kitty earmuffs? Yeah, nice. Okay. You guys do your thing. That's all right. That, that is all staying in. Video that's all staying in. I certainly hope so. Well, when I had this opportunity to come to the UK for the National Running Show, uh, I was all in, but I also said I will not go on a trip without my family right now because, again, that is that is a priority that I've made, and we really enjoy traveling together. So. Have they been over before? No, it's our first time. Oh. I've only been to Heathrow Airport. I've never actually been outside the airport. So it's oh, been it's a connections. wonderful – Yeah, exactly. It's been a wonderful – this is day four or five for us now. Oh, nice. So a bit of time in London and then – We went straight from London to Manchester. I have oh, okay. a friend that has a flat up that way that he offered up. So we were up that way for three days, came down here yesterday, and then we've got three days here before flying home. Amazing. And I suppose it's the right time to talk about support team because ultra running is take it physically and mentally is a massive toll. But when you're competing, your support team is massive. And in, in terms of having to be there to either put their arm around you and go know when you need support, but also know when you need a kick up the backside, basically. <laughs> no, like, no, come on, you're getting back out there. So how important is that for you? Well, I am very fortunate. She's in the room now too, so this isn't influencing what I'm saying whatsoever, I swear. Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, my wife has run more 100 milers than I have, and she's been a lifetime runner. She's done over 100 races of marathon distance and above. She once did 35 marathons in a year, so she gets it. She knows. Yeah. Um, and she's always supported me throughout and, and been able to allow me to prioritize my own running through our relationship. But as you mentioned, you know, you, sometimes you need the foot in the ass more than anything. And a few years back, 2017, I think it was, myself and Jared Campbell, who we met at the Barkley Marathons the previous year, we went to do this thing in Colorado called Nolan's 14ers, which is 14 consecutive 14,000-foot peaks. And you have to do it in under 60 hours to be an official finisher. And at that time, I think only 18 people in 20 years had done so. So I was out there with Jared. We had some of the most horrendous weather you could imagine. We were hypothermic on a peak, and we dropped off and, and, and called it. We got back down below the storm to our support crew, my wife and some friends, and we were done. And we still had, um, out of the 14 peaks, I think we still had six to go or something. So we were, we were uh, <laughs> math, eight in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we thought we were done. And, and uh, she supported us and let us have our moment and then looked at me and said, you, said, you know, you still have 30 hours. And that just sat there germinating in my head. And, uh, and yeah, we turned it around and headed back out in the mountains and were the first people to finish Nolan's with a, a 10 mile, um, oh. add on as a, an out and back to a, a station. So I've had that support and, and really she does understand when, when to coddle and when to, to throttle. <laughs> a very, a going from a, a nice heartwarming question to a, a very silly one, but do you have like a snack or a food that you just, if you're coming into a checkpoint or if you know you're coming back, I just, I just can't wait to have this. <laughs> Quiet in the back, please. <laughs> um, definitely over the years, two things that have never done me wrong in races is watermelon and Coca-Cola. Um, as much as I might try to avoid it at times, those have always done me well. But yeah, as my wife mentions, anything that's frozen or cold, especially in hot races from freezies, I think the Americans call them otter pops. I'm not sure what you call them in Britain. Like an, like an ice pop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much just like a, yeah. A colored frozen ice kind of, kind of thing. Um, yeah. Any kind of frozen cold from ice cream to freezies, uh, will typically get me going again pretty quickly. A bit of sugar as well. Yeah, exactly. But they're, it's hard to come by. Obviously it needs to stay frozen kind of thing, but yeah. for actual race supplied foods, most often, uh, watermelon and Coke are the things that I usually have access to that work for me. I was looking around your website and there's a, there's a quote that's quite, Poignant uh, from um, Walter Payton. Remember, tomorrow is promised to no one, and I've, I, that resonated quite a lot. And uh, interested on the thoughts of what, why it's there and what that means to you. Yeah, that, that's been there for for well over a decade now. Probably I've had that quote as my signature on my email since the beginning of my email, I think. And and it did resonate for for it does, and, and but especially did you know ten fifteen years ago um, to really cherish the day because because you just don't know, and I'm very fortunate at this point in my life at 46 years old with a healthy, happy family. Uh, and I never take that for granted that what we're able to do right now, even being here sitting down with you is, is a really special experience for us. Um, and we've lost loved, loved ones, both of us and, and things can and do change very suddenly for people in their lives. So um, I really try to keep that as a central focus to just really appreciate the good times when they're good, because you never know when that might end suddenly and what you might be up against next. I think that resonates with people listening into we're recording this towards the middle end of January when people are trying to keep to resolutions, if, if that's what people do. But the idea of taking every opportunity, trying to say yes to more things, even if it's going to see a friend or going down to park run or going to do an event that you maybe didn't really want to do, but taking opportunity to, to, of, of life. And because like you said, tomorrow's never promised and you, you want to do as, as many things as, as you possibly can. Someone threw a quote at me a couple of years ago when I was doing something just, uh, uh, 
in a conversation, didn't know the guy, but uh, had essentially said, you know, it's a, it's a good day or whatever. And he just responded, any day above ground is a good day, mate. And and that was a more succinct way of really saying it. It was a more, right, yeah. just hitting the point right on the head. Yeah. It's very true, any day above ground, you know, any day you're still here, you do want to try to extract some value out of it if you can. I like that. I like that. A question that I'm, again, interested in is, and it kind of leads on a little bit of, um, is there a race or a route that resonates with you? Is there a route that if you could only want run or go across or do an event once, that's it? Is, do you have one in mind? Um, that, so I'll answer that question, but I might expand on it a little bit. Mm. And in terms of, of a race specifically, there's two races that, uh, you know, if I had to choose, and you're, as you say, you can only do one event for eternity kind of thing. There's a local 30 miler, almost 50 K where I live in, in the Vancouver region called the Nienacker. I've done it four or five times. I've won it once. And it's just a really beautiful point to point route with a massive 1200 meter, 4,000 foot, um, technical climb right off the start of the race. But the community around it is the big thing. There's over 400 volunteers out for this race. There's only 165 people or something that get into it. It's a lottery and it's a really special, you know, community based event. Um, I love it. I love everything about the course on out to the people around it. And then the hurt Hawaii hundred miler, even though I haven't been there in many years, a, a very similar thing where there's a, such a strong community dynamic to it. There's only three aid stations and those aid stations are really well supported. And every time we've gone, it's been a couple of years now, but we went every year for, I think we've been as a family 10 times, but um, they, we've, we felt connected to a community and, and that would, those would be the two, the two that I would, I would choose because it, it's more than a race. It feels yeah. like more than, than I, a, a course. I, that's the answer. I thought, I thought I might get something that maybe not might be super obvious, but to you, it's something obviously it's the race, but it's more than that. It's the community. And, and I think most people get that. Well, you know, you, yeah. you get races and courses can be beautiful in their own right, but it's the, it's the, the volunteers, the people, the community around it that really have that, that special connection to it. But then, as I said, expanding on that question, if I had to choose, um, a, a zone or an area that I could only ever do stuff in again, it would be my, my actual backyard where I live in, in BC in, in a city called Chilliwack. It's the terminus of the North Cascade mountains. And we're very fortunate that we moved there a couple of years ago and the mountain access is just phenomenal. And I could happily play in those mountains out my back door for the rest of my life and never have to put a bib on again and, and be quite content. I like that. Is there an event that's on the, 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 the list that for whatever reason you've not done, but if I could give that a go, I would. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't know how much I want to, uh, I want to put on, uh, on camera and stuff right That's now. Fine. Yeah. No, I, I think I, I might actually, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it like this. So this is our first time in the UK. It's been, it's been on our list for many years. I, um, try to recall the year, maybe five years ago, I had actually booked flights and was coming over to give a, a go at Bob Graham, uh, but ended up with a stress fracture and had to cancel my trip. So this is our first time here and it's been on the list for a long time. It's really spoken to us. We really have enjoyed this, this trip. And there are not only multiple rounds in the area that entice me, but also some races and winter races that uh, look quite tempting. And <laughs> we've had some conversations over the last few days as to what that might look like for next year and in the future. Um, so, yeah, you might you might see us back this way sooner than later. And there's definitely lots of opportunities here for really cool things to pursue. And if that isn't a reason to go and follow you on social to keep up to date <laughs> of what you're going to be doing, because that, that's... No, it's exciting to hear that. There's a race that I saw when just taking a look around that I'd not heard of before, um, but seems to be 
well, in terms of performance, a, a favourite of yours, the Hurt Hawaii 100 miler, right. because um, you, you've been the course record holder, still the course record holder yeah, yeah. for over a decade, and you've got the two fastest. Yeah. What What is it about that? Tell us about that, because I hear Hawaii, um, Hawaii 100 miler and think, Palm trees and sun. Is it really like that? Is it quite? Is it um, quite up and down? But also, what is it about that race that, for some reason, clicks really well with you? Yeah, yeah. So, the the starting point for that is to establish that the hundred miles has. I could be off on this. It's either thirteen or eighteen kilometers of unique trail. So it's a five loop, and on those five loops, you have two long out and backs and one short out and back. So the first time I signed up to do this race, it was my second ever hundred miler in two thousand and ten, and I thought this, I, I would, it, it, the timing agreed, going to Hawaii agreed. It looked super technical and mountainous. It's got 25,000 feet of climbing and descent. Um, but I, I thought doing the, la- the loops, the laps and everything would be a one-off. Um, it is a stunning course because you are in Hawaii. It is mountainous and it's super technical. Mm-hmm. But the big thing, as I alluded to earlier, was just that real sense of, of connectedness to a community around the race. And there, excuse me, there are a few places, few races I've gone where it just, is so blatant and so obvious that you've stepped into something special that really has the right people overseeing it for, for such a long time. And I, so I ran it in 2010 and then I, I broke my foot for the first of two times. And in 11 and 12, we went to, I went to the race. We uh, officially started dating in 11 at, at the race. And I, I went over when I was on crutches because I still wanted to see the people. And I volunteered for the race for 36 hours um, and that really connected me to their community and I got to know people and the race directors became good friends of ours. So, uh, incredibly challenging, incredibly beautiful. Um, and one of the challenges with the race is that you're never more than about five miles from the beach and you can oh, see wow. the beach as you're in the mountains, as you're up above. So the, the actual men- mental part of it, of not quitting on yourself. And that's what catches people most times mm. is you can be in the depths in the race and, and know that in 45 minutes you can be on the beach or in your bed at, at, you know, back wherever you're staying and it's, it's all done and over. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, what I love about the course is it's gnarly. It's technical. It's got big roots and tree roots and steps and, and, and rocks and, and certainly not every step, but the majority of the race is quite technical. And I mentioned that Neenacker race, also, where I where I was living, I lived in North Vancouver for 10 years. We're just outside of there now. Those trails are super technical. So when I went to Hawaii for that race for the first time in 2010, I scouted the course and immediately home turf advantage and, and knew that everything about that course matched where I was running in North Vancouver. And that's why I was able to succeed in that race and, and run such a solid time is because the only difference was really the temperature variance, but the terrain underfoot was exactly what I was training on right. in my North Shore Mountains in North Vancouver, BC. Amazing. So an amazing experience. Uh, absolutely. And we, it just occurred last week. We, you know, we've got, we're following along with our friends, not only the ones that live in Hawaii that produced the race, but friends of ours that ran the race this year. And, um, and yeah, it's definitely, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go back again at some point. Uh, I mentioned I'm 46 and I've been thinking through what's going to be my 50th year here. So it's on the short list of potentials. It's it's on the list. It's on the list. I've been kind of exposed to the running community for the last couple of years and learning about it, learning about ultra marathons and races and events and and, and the individuals that are notable within, within the industry. And it was probably about a year ago, year and a half ago, where I then was finding out about our our boss who loves ultra marathon running uh, oh, you should have a look at the Barkley Marathons. You should see what, you know, that's, uh, you, you won't believe what it's about. Okay. And I watched two or three documentaries, one of which being Where Dreams Go to Die, and it captivated me. 
and as some as a as a viewer as a someone who is almost like a mythical there's the, everything around it everything about Alaz and the race and the people that run in it and the entrance and all of that so it captivates captivates me as someone who enjoys running but isn't taking on those challenges has it got the same effect for you as an ultra runner going that's almost like a it's a it's a challenge that's just so it almost has you absolutely uh, yeah absolutely and it did. It had me for a very long time. Um, and I ran it for the first time in 2016. Um, and it is 2023. So that is seven years ago now. And I think that's where the, the gap is for a lot of people who might watch the documentary recently and, and not understand the timeline. I mean, you've seen my son who just walked in. It's the same child that I'm throwing around in I that know. documentary, right? And that really hammers home that it's been a lifetime since I, I went there for the first time. Um, but I mentioned the expedition racing in the early years, and I learned about the Barkley through those circles because everybody talks about the hardest things in the world in this mythical race. And I wanted to do that race in about the 2010, 11, 12 timeframe. I mentioned I had broken my foot that time. I was on crutches for eight and a half months in a calendar year. I had back-to-back stress fractures. Um, and it took uh, an, a couple of years coming out of that to get the fitness back and to get the confidence back mm. that I, my bones were solid kind of thing. And then I finally applied for the race for the 2016 running and through, through through an S through a, through a, almost like a written yes. essay, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like a, a, a top secret, like, you know, entry process. I will say there are over a thousand, if not 1500 people who apply annually now. So it's not as secret as it was at yeah. one point, but I was lucky I did it when I did <laughs> yeah. because that Netflix documentary kind of made it there after that application year. And then I had my experience the following year in 2017 and it really exploded that race on the map. Mm. So I feel very fortunate in hindsight that I got a chance to do it when I did. And the the pursuit of it was not dissimilar from what the expedition pursuit was. When I started this, again, I wasn't a runner and I wasn't motivated by running in miles and distance. What I wanted to know about myself as a 26-year-old, 27-year-old was, where's your breaking point? What what can you what can you do, and how are you going to react and respond when you're presented with that? And I remember vividly thinking, you know, when I'm broken and on my knees and and kind of begging for it to end, where what what's next? Where's your what, how are you gonna how are you gonna get through that moment in time? And I met those moments through expedition racing, and that set me on the course that allowed me to go to the Barkley. And because of the the tight cut of 60 hours and the the lack of, of, na- of flagging and the navigation. I, I was gifted three really incredible experiences at the Barkley marathons and two in particular, 16 and 17, where I got into a zone and a space in that race that I've not, not ever uh, uh, met any, any with anything else I've done in my life. And, and it, it, Jared once called it a distilled existence and you get to a point where nothing else matters and your body and your mind are so broken, but you get into a meditative state where you, you ignore all of it and exist on almost a different plane. Mm. And it was, it was addictive for a period of time. And I, again, had my moment in 17, which is memorialized or, or infamous now in the, in the documentary. I went back again in, um, in 18, yep. 30 minutes. Okay. Uh, Went back again in 2018 and uh, was the only fun run finisher. Uh, we had major weather issues that year. In 2019, I had a stress fracture. In 2020, there was the pandemic. In 2021, there was the pandemic. And it just kind of fizzled out for me because I, 
tying back to a question you asked 10 minutes ago, like what are the, what are the things that are speaking to you right now? I spent seven years of my life focused singularly on that race. I had three years where I was able to attempt the race. I had a year where I was broken. I had a couple of years where a pandemic prevented me from going. My son is turning eight this year. He was a child when we went the first time, an infant. And it you you make peace with it and you move on because if not, you can I I know I'll look back in a couple of years. And even if I did get the elusive finish, it'll be compromised by everything else I've given away to get that. And that seven year span for me was quite fulfilling. It is the reason I'm sitting here today and that's, I'm not, that's not lost on me. So there were a lot of, a lot of really positive things that have arisen from what was quite the moment of my life. Um, but yeah, I cherish the years that I had at the Barkley marathons and I got out of that race, everything that I wanted out of that race save for the one tiny little bit of making it across the actual finish line. But I have made peace with that many years ago. And this year and last year, the last two years, I didn't even apply uh, for the race. And now, again, I'm, my interest is being sparked by these other opportunities that fall within that same timeline of an early season uh, event. And that's where I'm at right now here in the UK and really looking at some other things where I'm like, this could be pretty cool. Like this, this could create the motivation and a little bit of the fear that I haven't had in a long time. And I think that's the other thing is I, I didn't officially finish the race, but I got through the course. And with that, you lose a little bit of the, the fear and the, the scariness of it. Um, and I think you need that to succeed. Yeah. And the other concern I have is how difficult it is to find that same spark for the training where you have to give everything to it to get to that point to allow yourself to succeed and i see that spark now being fueled by some other things that are on the calendar and that excites me and i haven't felt that in a while so i've made peace with it i'm really happy with what i got to experience there um and again i'm sitting here today talking to you dom and, and it's because of that so i've got nothing to complain about yeah if anyone listening either doesn't know about the Barclay go go and research it and so it gives some context in terms of I'm sure a lot of people will listening to this but context around what you're talking about and the specifics of the entry process the starting process um, what you have to bring with you as well and and how you navigate or try and navigate around in the terrain all of that but I also would say uh, go and watch where go dream uh, where dreams go to die because not only is it, it follows your training as well and what you have to put into it to actually be in a position where you can feel like you can take it on and you get past the fun run and you, and you go from there. And I obviously won't say what happens at the end, but it's... If you don't know, yeah. <laughs> if, it's, it, if you don't know, it's one of the... the I gripped. I watched it, watched it with parents and it was utterly gripping, emotional. Yeah. But, um, and, and with your support team, and I was really interested to... That because it's a twelve-hour section, isn't it? Where he gives before you could start. Is it a twelve-hour section? Um, or there's a segment before he, you don't know what time you're going to be starting. Or oh is yeah, it yeah. A, a couple, there's a twelve-hour window. Yeah, it can start anywhere from the midnight on Friday to noon on Saturday, and and they blow a conch one hour in advance to let you know. So you get sixty minutes notice, but in that no one sleeps. So by the time it starts, you're already under behind the eight ball with sleep but deprivation. What, at what point does your adrenaline? Because your adrenaline for the first hour, I imagine, is going, and then you're kind of going, oh, I want to start now. <laughs> I, I could do with starting oh yeah absolutely and yeah you're on edge the whole time right yeah. you just don't know and every little little slight noise in that campground sets you off um from a barking dog to car horns going off and everything else which is quite common throughout so uh yeah your 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 adrenaline is pumping your cortisol is is flying and 
Um, it's a, the most stressful part of any race is just the lead up to the beginning. You know, there's a lovely moment for me, at least in every race when the race starts, because then all of that stress to get there, the training, the tapering, the travels, it's all gone. And now you just have to do what you've trained your body and mind to do. And I love those first few miles of any, any race where I just, there's such a peace for me in that every, all that stress is behind now. And I just do everything you've trained yourself to do. It's amazing. You, you've answered my second to last question, which is what's next for you. It's basically keep, keep your eyes peeled because <laughs> you're, you're putting a list together. But the, the last thing that I'd love to get from, from you, gave you that advice from David at the beginning, but a piece of advice, it can be to do with running. It doesn't have to be at all, but a piece of advice to give to obviously the people listening, but the guest coming on the podcast next. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I talked about this earlier and, um, uh, I think often the, the quotes or the advice that we give is reflective of where we find ourselves in our lives. And, um, and my piece of advice is meet yourself where you're at and, uh, and it, whether, um, younger, older or whatnot, we often find ourselves struggling to, to meet ourselves with exactly where we're at through our training and life stresses and this, that, and the other thing. Um, and if you can do that, then you can find a little bit more joy in what you're doing. And that, that in and of itself might spur you to be able to do a little bit more of the, the training or whatnot that you're, you're, you're chasing as it is anyways. Gary, thank you so much. It's it genuinely been, been a pleasure to, to have you on. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and enjoy the rest of being in the UK. And we're looking forward to, to having you come back soon. Cheers. It's been, it's been an absolute treat. Thanks, Tom. And with that, we come to the end of episode one on season eight of the Outside and Active podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with another episode with another fantastic guest. But until that time, enjoy the outdoors.